I'm Nora McInerney, and this is terrible. Thanks for asking. Another thing that's terrible is my sleep habits. They have been ever since I was a child. They're not for everybody, but sleeplessness does affect a lot of people. When we were little, my parents would say about my brother, oh, he falls asleep before his head even hits the pillow. But when I lay down my head, my brain switches on and my thoughts fire up like a furnace, only it's not as useful as a furnace. It doesn't keep you warm. It's like a furnace that's out of control and also keeps... It's not like a furnace at all. It's basically not a furnace. (laughs) When I was young, these thoughts would be about death and dying and how the universe is infinite and how someday we would all die and turn to dust and be floating in space and nothing would matter. Just normal childhood thoughts. In adulthood... Going to bed has meant being treated to basically a highlight reel of all my shortcomings, anxieties, worries, things I did 10 years ago that I shouldn't have or maybe I should have but didn't do, what I might say in an imaginary scenario or confrontation with a person who is certainly not up at 2 a.m. thinking about me and losing sleep. I have full-on debates with people that have yet to actually materialize in real life. Again, really healthy, normal stuff. Most days I am tired and exhausted and people assume it's because my baby is keeping me up with baby stuff like crying or eating. But really, it's because I was mean to a girl in fifth grade and I wish I hadn't been or the gate agent said, have a nice flight when she was taking my ticket. And I said, you too, even though she's not going anywhere. She's just taking my ticket. Or because a few months ago, a person was really rude to me on Twitter And to this day, I kind of think he was wrong and I was right. And I can't go back to that thread because that's too petty. But nobody knows the level of pettiness in my head where I am basically just imagining what I would say if he comes into my mentions again. So one night, a night like that, when I was up and sleepless, I asked on Twitter if you were up too and what was on your mind. And just like me... A lot of you were up and worrying and fretting like the beautiful weirdos we are. So this episode is for anyone who is laid awake at night pondering the mysteries of the universe or the mysteries of the 2016 election. This is your show, made from your late night thoughts, recorded on your phones, sometimes while your children or partners or dogs slept beside you, oblivious to the fact that you were up, obsessing, and talking to me in your phone. Here's where we're going to start. We're going to start at midnight. Midnight is interesting because it's late, but you're still hopeful that you might be able to sneak in a good six or seven hours of sleep if your brain can just shut up. Hello, check one, two. What keeps you up at night? Okay, so what keeps me up at night? What keeps me up at night? I wake up in the middle of the night, like I just did, heart racing, in a panic, because I think I'm dead. 
Or sometimes I think that I forgot to take that pill that would prevent me from dying. My husband died two years ago. I pause a little here because my eight-and-a-half-year-old son sleeps next to me. Sweetest boy ever. Anyway, this whole waking up in a panic thing started a few years ago. It actually started when I was taking fertility meds when we were going through IVF, trying to have a second child, which didn't work, by the way. And I would wake up in the middle of the night in a panic that I forgot to take some of my fertility drugs, which you're supposed to take at specific times and all that. And that didn't go away. Sometimes I jump out of bed and I just freak out and I have to go look at myself in the mirror and even that doesn't always help. I think right now I'm going to get up and take some Benadryl to help me sleep. I feel small in comparison to the mess I'm in. About 10 years ago, I met an incredible human, but at the time I was too consumed with healing from my last breakup. Between then and now, my mom died, my grandma died, my uncle died, I've lost contact with my father. I've realized what love is from all of that death. In the meantime, she got married, had children, and is now staying in a loveless marriage for the children. I am kept awake at night because of regret. We are the love of each other's lives, and we both know it. But now it's too late because she can't leave. Racing thoughts of how in the hell I got to be 57 and don't feel like I am worth a nickel. Worry, worry, worry. Anger at myself for not feeling that I have done anything of note with my life and all the waste of time I have spent in getting a BA in sociology, a BSSW in social work, a Master of Arts in teaching, and a plus 30 in special education, and realizing after borrowing too damn much money that my age precludes me from ever using these degrees, and having developed a number of genetic problems that are causing me extreme pain and distress, and not having the money to pay for a visit to a specialist, or about my husband and the choices we have made that have made a financial mess of our lives. Not living high, just living stupid. Despair, anger, frustration. Lost, lost, lost. Other than that, nothing important. Not too long ago, I just woke up and said, I've lost my faith, my, my spiritual faith, and it keeps me up at night. I, I don't know how to 
get through it. Um, but I don't know how to translate things like death anymore. When I knew there was a great end game, and now I'm going, oh, it's I'm just dirt, I guess, after that, and worms, and then what did I do when my son, who died as a baby, what was all that for? Was it in vain? And what about my mom? I thought I heard from her after she died in my dreams. Was that a ruse? And uh, I feel like an untethered balloon. You know, I could go back to church and and try to make amends with it mentally and be like, yeah, this, I'll get through it. I'll, I'll suck it up. But I think I feel like the toothpaste is out of the tube in my mind and you can't put it back in. So then I have to find my faith through humanity, that thing that will keep me grounded and centered and, and feeling hopeful about the world and the universe as a whole. Usually it's something I ate or drank that evening or late in the day. Caffeine after four, for instance, never fails to bring a long night of pondering everything from why my parents divorced when I was five, 45 years ago, or how I should have been nicer to the customer service person last Friday. As the thoughts culminate in prayer, I pray for my dad who hasn't spoken to me for five years. Is it because I look so much like mom? Because I've tried everything. I started a routine lately that I sometimes get into in the winter where I try to occupy 100% of my time until I fall asleep completely exhausted. I do it because I'm anxious to deal with the next day, but also I'm afraid of thinking about anything at all. If I just watch TV or play video games or talk on the phone or drive around town until I can't do it one minute longer, I don't have to think about anything at all and it can't keep me up at night. 12.30. Your body is so tired. But your mind? Your mind is like, hey, 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 I got something for you to think about. midnight and I am lying in bed um, and for me my very first experience with death was my grandmother my nanny when I was 14 years old all of a sudden one day she broke her hip in her home and after that she was not the same person it was like she just gave up. And what keeps me up at night is the fact that I used to pray at times that she would pass away peacefully and just put an end to the humiliation that she was experiencing and the pain 
that she was going through and because I knew that if she could understand herself and see herself, she would be mortified and heartbroken and frightened and would hate it. And when she did finally pass, I remember my mom woke us up early in the morning and she took us out of our bedrooms into the loft and broke the news to us. And my siblings started crying and I sat there stone-faced. I didn't cry. I didn't touch them. I didn't do anything. I didn't feel anything. And it keeps me up at night thinking about that. And I think about Dev, I think about her. And I wonder if when I'm at that point in my life, if anyone will still love me, will still want me around, will still take care of me. been nine years since my brother passed. His passing was uh, due to an overdose. And he spent his last moments on a street in Patterson, New Jersey, without anyone around him. And what keeps me up is the... Uh, the loneliness of it. My brain is going over and over thinking, am I doing the right thing with my life? Am I on the right path? Why am I not doing enough things to get me on the right path? What are those things? How am I screwing up in a million different ways every single day? either by the things I do or by the things I don't do. Goes on a loop in my head. Uh, same. Same. Thank you for giving me that to think about. Now. Because it's 2 (laughs) a.m. It's 2 a.m. This is the worst. You can't even take a Tylenol p.m. right now because then you'll be sleepy till like 2 p.m. Right? So, I guess, just lay here, resent the person next to you for snoring quietly. At this time of night, I'm mad at my dog. I'm like, oh, cool, you're getting some solid Z's. You have a hard day of laying in the sun tomorrow morning. You, you deserve a break, Stacy. That's my dog's name. I'm going to be doing... You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to meditate. Nope. Because a Gavin DeGraw song is in my head. I'm going to breathe deeply. That is boring. I don't want to do that. I have too many things to worry about. You know, you know what sounds like a good use of my time at 2 a.m.? Why don't I just think about my schedule for tomorrow and how tired I'll be for my first event of the day? It's 2 a.m. 
Why am I still awake? I'm in pain. My teeth hurt for no reason at all, at least that I can think of. And my head hurts and my neck. But those always hurt. This chronic pain is a bitch. Sometimes I feel like I'm in this vicious cycle of getting up and going to work and making money and paying my bills and going out with friends and walking my dog and doing all the things that we all do, or all the things that I do. And I wonder, is this all there is? Is this it? I just... Sometimes I feel like I'm just waiting for something better, for something to happen, for something more. The fact that I'm 8,000 miles away from my family while my dad, my formerly strong, robust, never even got a cold dad, continues to suffer from a mysterious illness that no doctor can seem to diagnose, but is slowly killing him. I'm 29 and currently living in New Zealand. I left home for the first time last February and haven't been back since. I don't want to. I know returning doesn't equate to failure, but it feels this way because I'm scared that I won't be able to leave once I go back. But of course I love my dad and feel a strong sense of duty to take care of him. What am I gonna do with my life? Am I going to die alone? That one boy who treats me badly but whom I can't seem to say no to? How long until my savings runs out? I was laid off from my job this past September. I've been doing short-term work since then, and after having one job for 14 years, I've had four different jobs in the past 11 months. In fact, I have a job interview today. I am praying for something more long-term so my family can continue working on our financial goals. I find myself thinking about the decision that I made not to have biological children. When I was 28, I was diagnosed with stage 1 ovarian cancer. I found out that I have a genetic mutation that makes it more likely for tumors to grow in my ovaries and so even though the cancer was only in one ovary at the time my boyfriend now husband and I made the decision to go ahead and have both ovaries removed so fast forward my husband and I have been married for three years and we have been on an adoption wait list for over 18 months with no real end in sight you know I know that there's birth moms that are contacting our agency every single day and are being matched with someone other than my husband and I. And it just kind of eats away at me and makes me think, are we not good enough? 
I know I made the right decision. I mean, eventually we're gonna get chosen and we're gonna have a beautiful family and I'm gonna be alive to raise my child or hopefully God willing children. family so badly and there's nothing I can do to make it happen faster Soy una persona bilingüe. I am a bilingual human person. I grew up between Puerto Rico and the Deep South, so my default identity crisis runs deep and delicious. Hace poco decidí que quería un boleto a otro mundo. I recently decided that I wanted a ticket into another world, one of prestige and name dropping. Law school. I've been working for seven years in the public interest law world, and now more than ever, I feel like the Deep South will be in an ever-growing need of progressive legal professionals who care about this region and who want to fight for progress here. I thought, oh hey, uh, you know how you can walk between these two worlds, Southern, Hispanic, super easily because I'm from both at the same time? I bet I can use that to help bridge gaps between ever more polarizing communities. I should go be a lawyer. So. In my naivete, I took the LSAT after weeks and weeks of prep work. I got a horribly, embarrassingly low score. I can give you a Know Your Rights presentation in two languages about a variety of subjects, but I can't pass a stupid test. ¿Puedo ayudar a explicarle a los latinos a los americanos y a los americanos a los latinos? Contra, puedo hasta hacer un flan maravilloso. Puedo hasta hacer malabarismos, una palabra que hasta ahora mismo ni la sabía. Puedo tocar el clarinete, pero no puedo pasar el OSAT con una puntuación decente. I have been kept up at night these days because I can't get a ticket into this prestigious world, knowing that I would be able to do something good with this access. Somewhere deep down, I think these tests are literally made so that people like me are kept from getting said ticket. A few days ago, I decided to apply regardless. Hace unos días decidí aplicar a la universidad de todas formas, so we'll see what they tell me. Ya veremos qué me dicen. We're going to take a little break. If you're in bed, this is the time of night where you get a glass of water, you do some yoga or some deep breathing, and when we come back, well, we're still going to be up. Now, I want to talk to you about something serious and a little bit disturbing. There are people in this world who don't know what a podcast is at all. They don't. You say that word. They're like, mm, is it a snack? So here's what I want you to do. I want you to just go up to a stranger and ask, do you know what a podcast is? And when they say yes, tell them 
what your favorites are. And when they say no, I want you to confront them, get in their face, ask why, demand to know why they don't know what a podcast is. There's no excuse. It's 2017. You gotta know what a podcast is. Okay, Janet? If you can, I would make this public. I would make it, you know, embarrassing for everyone involved. Anyway, so I want to know what you like to listen to. So if you share it on the internet, Twitter, whatever else there is, Facebook, use hashtag tripod, T-R-Y pod, like try a podcast. You get it. So we know what you're recommending and what we should be listening to. We're back. It's 3 a.m. We're still up. This is ridiculous. Maybe you could just get up and do a load of laundry, do something useful, or you could lay here and go through all your shoulds and woulds and coulds. It's around three. Tonight's insomnia is a very dear person to me. Someone I am in love with, but, you know, it's it's not working out that way. He recently um, moved to a different city, um, and he's been there for a little over a week, and he's relapsed hardcore into his alcohol addiction, so... Uh, last night, my, my I went to bed uh, right after hanging up with him and him telling me I almost got him fired from his new job because of the argument we had yesterday morning. Um, the argument in which he called me and, and ranted at me because he definitely had a night of binging, so. I worry that I will never get better or feel better. I am totally blind and have a moderate case of fibromyalgia syndrome. Together, these two conditions create a negative hole greater than the sum of their parts. I worry that unless I can figure out an out-of-the-box job workaround, I'll be forever living on a 775 or so dollar a month government benefit package and will therefore miss out on so many of the richness and diversity that life has to offer. I worry I'll be forever here in Louisiana, a state that despite so much potential in natural and cultural resources seems to always be at or near the very bottom of so many popular indices such as education levels, quality of life, health care. I worry about the future. This is my fourth year of business ownership, and I'm in constant fear that my staff will leave because I can't pay them what they're worth. Then I start to worry if my devotion to entrepreneurship and neglect of a social life into my mid-30s would set me up to be too old to effectively raise a family once I do relax enough away from working. Then I go back to worrying about my business, because it needs to grow fast enough to support a family as well as my staff if anyone chooses to start a family with me. Would anyone actually want to enjoy their life with me? 
Maybe I'm too neurotic for anyone to put up with. I'm 21 years old, and my dad died from stage four colon cancer at the age of 66, three hours after my flight back to Colorado, where he lives, landed. And I was the only one there with him in his last moments. And I have dreams about him every single night. I just, what keeps me up at night is the thought that I could have come so much sooner. I could have actually spoke to him. I could have made him smile and made him know he was loved. And I just didn't, I didn't come soon enough. He's not going to get to walk me down the aisle. And he's not going to get to hold any of his grandchildren. When I was dealing with severe major depressive disorder, nights were always the worst. Without external distractions, that hateful voice in my head would rise to a shout, telling me what a horrible person I was, how stupid I was, how utterly unlovable I was. I would think about how I didn't deserve to live, but also how I didn't deserve to die and obtain the release I imagined would come with death. These days, with my mental illness under control, with a wonderful husband and daughters, I still lie awake at night sometimes, but my thoughts are far less destructive. I think about the things I have to do the next day or week, and I think about the things I fear I will never get to do. Sometimes that voice still whispers that I'm a horrible person, but I've learned to recognize it for the illness it is. I... I lose countless hours of sleep, I'd say, nightly. I find it difficult to get to bed before 2 o'clock most nights just because I spend hours laying in bed just running through the scenarios in my head trying to find a way to solve the predicament I'm in, dealing with the uh, ramifications of student debt. 4.45 in the morning. Maybe you can get a power nap in before the day starts. If you're not too busy anticipating and worrying. Today I'm up at 4.45 a.m. I'm laying in bed with my two dogs, thinking about um, the big move that I'm about to embark upon. In about six weeks, I am moving to Miami for a job opportunity. I am so thrilled and honored and excited for this opportunity, but with big change also comes big loss. I am leaving behind 
my sister, who is my best friend. I'm leaving behind a great apartment in the North Loop. I am saying goodbye to friends, an excellent group of coworkers, and a boyfriend. I'm wondering if it's the right thing to do. And it boils down to which would I regret more? <laughs> Turning down this job opportunity or leaving behind everything that I know and everything that makes me feel comfortable. Class guilt. I feel like Liam Neeson in the end of Schindler's List. Like I could have saved so many more people. Every dollar I spend eating out, instead of eating inexpensive food cooked at home, is a dollar that could have gone to the poor. And while I am in bed, warm inside a well-insulated home, there are millions freezing outside. What keeps me up at night? I stay awake remembering the erasure of indigenous existence and perspectives. My people are indigenous to Turtle Island, and yet we are almost universally excluded from discussions of racial, environmental, and social justice on this continent. The reason given for this is our small numbers. It's hard to know whether this is more painful or more absurd. When I ask the people who talk about diversity, what about us? I'm told, oh, there aren't enough of you to matter. I want to matter. And so I stay awake and think about how we are erased. As much as it hurts not to have it for my people, I support the recognition of these more recently arrived minorities and other groups as well. But it's particularly heartbreaking when other people of color whose groups are regularly recognized engage in native erasure. Just to be clear, I'm not saying that those groups are treated well, nor that we need to be in competition with one another. But there is power in recognition and humanization in recognition, and it's important to recognize that privilege. It's hard not to hear a lack of recognition as a statement that more than half a millennium of genocide that encompasses an entire continent is less worthy of addressing than other injustices. And once your attention has been pointed at the conspicuous absence of any mentions of indigenous people, from the diversity litany to the subtly violent phrase, a nation of immigrants, our absence only becomes more shocking. I'd like to matter. I'd like indigenous people to matter. This is what keeps me up at night. Five thirty. A.M. Don't give up yet. Don't get up and make coffee. It's not time. Just lay here and think about what's important or what's not so important. It's hard to tell what's what. It's 5.30 in the morning. My toddler woke me up. Um, in addition to a two-year-old, I have a 13-year-old stepdaughter. I'm married. My husband's self-employed. I'm self-employed as a personal chef. But I haven't done that since June because I have breast cancer. 
I did 20 weeks of chemo. I had a mastectomy, a follow-up surgery a couple weeks ago to fix one of the incisions. And uh, I start radiation today. And then I have to do more chemo. But I'm not up thinking of any of that. I'm thinking about the fact that my dad is visiting on Friday and I'm worried the snow is going to melt and all the gross leaves that I didn't rake are going to be on the lawn and I'm thinking about the fact that the girls used all the tape in the house to make a bubble wrap dress last night and I actually need tape today and I don't want to go to the store and I was thinking about a conversation we had with my stepdaughter's mom a few years ago about her diet and what I wish I would have said. <laughs> uh. The thing that keeps me up at night is worrying about not having enough money to pay for bills and the other thing that keeps me up is if my husband and I have an argument, I will lay in bed contemplating our relationship and thinking if it's the right thing to be in and to be with him still. Well, it's officially tomorrow. And now I bet you could get a good night's sleep. Like, don't you always feel like once at seven, like when your alarm goes off, you're like, oh no, now I'm ready. Now I can sleep forever. But too bad. Because the birds are chirping. And the sun is creeping into your windows. And you are a grown-up and you got shit to do today. I have this sick, irrational fear that everything in my life is going to go wrong. In the mornings, I'm scared of waking up because I'm convinced that I'm going to receive the worst news of my life that day. I'm certainly scared of things like the dark and spiders, but what's more terrifying than the thought that you'll become a useless husk of who you once were? Last night in particular, I spent most of the night awake stressing about my five-year-old needing glasses. He has to wear glasses now, and I'm afraid that five-year-olds are going to be mean to him, and I'm afraid of him breaking them and not wearing them, and I'm afraid of him not being perfect and needing to be corrected. I am sitting in my car, ready to walk into work. And every day, I feel like lately has been a challenge for me. A year ago, I didn't commit suicide. The cops did 
break into my apartment to make sure I was alive, and I was 65 pounds heavier. I am a person that survived years of verbal abuse, bullying for the way that I looked. My husband is on a deployment. This is our second one, and I'm supposed to be stronger this time. I just stay up at night. I'm trying to be the person that I'm meant to be. I'm trying to be a strong person for my husband and for my family. And on the outside, I've lost the weight. My marriage is good. I'm really healthy. But in the inside, I'm still not okay. I just, it's refreshing to talk to someone and tell you guys that I'm not okay. Just to be a part of this real community that tells each other the truth. I do know when I get up the next morning, I don't think about it anymore until the next night or a couple nights later when I close my eyes or stare at the ceiling and start thinking about it all over again. That's what keeps me up. So that's what I'm thinking about while I'm not sleeping tonight. That is what keeps me up at night. All right, well... Thanks for listening. Okay, that's all. Thanks for listening. Thank you to everyone in this episode and to everybody who sent us other stories that we didn't have time to include because I've just gotten feedback that nobody wants a 12-hour long podcast episode. I don't know who you weirdos are, but... Thank you. Honestly, that kind of openness is beautiful, and it means a lot to me and to Hans and everybody over here. We all wish you a very good night's sleep. But if you do find yourself up one night, tell us why. Text me. Just kidding. (laughs) I'm probably up, though. Grab your phone. We know you sleep with it, even though, like I said, it's not good for you. You're not supposed to do that. Record a voice memo telling us what's on your mind. Send it to ttfa at americanpublicmedia.org. Right now, we're working on season two, and we would love to hear your story. So to get that to us, head over to our website, ttfa.org, and click on Share Your Story, and that's where you can submit. And while you're there, you can sign up for the newsletter we're building and get a fancy t-shirt. It's pretty amazing. A lot of... A lot of good things over there on the internet. Terrible Things for Asking is produced by Hans Buto, one of my top five favorite people. I won't tell you who the other four are. I'm just going to let my family guess. And our theme music is by Joffrey Wilson. We get a lot of compliments about it. Joffrey also has this band called Just Post Bellum, J-U-S, Post Bellum. It's really fantastic. I feel like you would like it. We are a production of American Public Media, and we're recorded in beautiful, sunny St. Paul, Minnesota. Hi, are you still up? Well, you're not alone. Thanks to all of these people who sent us their stories of what keeps them up at night. Thanks, Kristen, Lindsay, Anne, Mark, Teresa, Daniel, 
Megan, Kyle, Kira, Teresa, Jennifer, Danny, Anne, Isabel, Jennifer, David, Ken, Michelle, James, Jenny, Sarah, Diego, Catherine, Kirsten, Jennifer, Avery, Brooke, and Alexandra. I hope you all got a good night's sleep.